Welcome to Make It Count, Living a Legacy Life, where we invest in what matters, God and people. I'm Sue Donaldson, speaker, author, and creator of WelcomeHeart.com, where you can learn to know and show the heart of God. And that's what counts. Thank you for joining me. Good morning. Today, I'm happy to introduce to you my new friend, Dorothy Littell Greco. She's from Boston, as you'll probably figure out when she <laughs> begins speaking. Uh, and she's lovely. And she's written some really important books, which I'm going to let her, her tell you about. But they're about the subject of marriage. And if you're not married and you're listening, don't turn it off because someday you may be married and um, you'll want to get these books and remember what she's going to share today. But also, you know people who are married, and maybe the book would be the right the 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 perfect gift for them, um, for Christmas or for a birthday or just because you love them. And so today, Dorothy, if you could just begin, we're going to talk about legacy. But I think this is your legacy. But uh, tell us a little bit about your family and uh, your ministry, and then we'll get into the legacy questions. And thanks so much sure. for being here. Yeah, it's great to be on with you. Um, so as you mentioned, Christopher, my husband and I live just outside of Boston and I actually don't have much of an accent. It's really only several neighborhoods in the Boston area that have mm. that very peculiar Boston accent. Yes. Um, Christopher and I have been married for, it'll be 30 years in just a couple months. We have three sons, 27, 25 and 21. Um, our youngest has been in and out of the house this past year with COVID, but he is in oh. his third year of college and the older two boys are already married and working. So they're out on their own at this point. And Christopher and I have pretty much since we've been married, um, been involved in marriage ministry, relational ministry. We've done long-term healing and discipleship programs through our local church. We've done wow. premarital classes, marriage classes, uh, Pretty much, you name it, and we've done it during the during during our thirty years of marriage together. What um, I'm curious because uh, my my husband and I got married late, and so we thought we were really mature. I remember thinking we only had one premarital class, which was a mistake, but that's just the way it worked. And I thought to myself, and probably even discussed it with Mark, we have so much to share with the world because we're so mature. And then we got married and I realized, oh my gosh, I need help. So what, what drew you both? I mean, you both, it sounds like you're both doing this together to do this kind of particular ministry that is so desperately needed. I would say that it's because we needed it. <laughs> you needed it yourself. <laughs> we, we minister at, often. We minister out of a place of our, our weakness totally. because that's where God's strength most shows up. Mm -hmm. um, we had a very rocky first relationship. We were engaged for about a year. Christopher broke off the relationship. We didn't talk to each other for two full years. Wow. And then one day he was at work while he was typing something up and just felt this little Holy Spirit moment of, maybe you made a mistake. Wow. And that was the first time that he had given himself permission to think, you know, oh, maybe it wasn't her fault. So he wow. reached out to me and we had a long conversation and it was clear from that very first time that we connected, reconnected, that we had both grown a great deal during that time period. And within six months, uh, within eight months from that first conversation, we were, we were married much to the concern of some yes. of my friends. I can imagine. <laughs> wow. We have a similar story, but we weren't engaged first, but I, he proposed. And then I said, no. And I didn't talk to him for three years. 
Wow. So wow. for during that time, then did you think I'll never see him again after he broke up with you? Well, it was hard because in the Boston area, we have a rather small Christian community. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like the South or probably places in California where right. there's, you know, churches of thousands of people. Um, so we had all the same relational networks, mm. which made it very right. awkward. Actually, a month after he broke up with me, two of our best friends got married and he was singing in the wedding and I was taking photographs in the wedding. Oh, dear. So, yeah, talk about awkward. Um so we did occasionally run into each other, but we really, you know, kept our distance. Um, I did not think that there was any hope for us to get back together again. I wasn't holding on to any promises that the Lord had given me. I did feel like he, the Lord really challenged me to completely and thoroughly forgive Christopher. And because I had gone through that, that deep spiritual work, that opened me up to the possibility of reconnecting with him. Wow. It's like the Lord knew what you needed before you could say yes the second time. Yes, that's true. Wow. Okay, you alluded to um, a a rough first beginning, but was that after you were married as well? I think that because we are both really strong-willed people, Ah. neither of us is easygoing, um, you know, life of the party kind of person. We're, We're both rather dogmatic at times. We're very strongly opinionated. And we're not really afraid to speak out the things that we think and feel, which, yes, meant that we had quite a bit of conflict during the first, I would actually say the first 10 years of our marriage. And then Hmm. at year 10, we had kind of an explosion um, where it just became clear to both of us that if we didn't really do some hard work and change, that our marriage might not make it. And it was during, go ahead. Did you feel uh, in the first 10 years that you were just sort of trying to make your uh, way be the right way. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yes. I don't know if it's so much that as feeling that um, we were not as flexible as we needed to be. I think that that's really the case. Uh, We both had very specific expectations about what the other person should or shouldn't be like, how they should practice their faith. I'm, I'm very, though I'm an introvert, I really, really like praying with people. Um, Christopher, interestingly, is super extroverted, but his preference for praying is going on long walks and just being by himself. So Hmm. right there, you know, we came into the marriage, his expectation was, I'm going to have these wonderful times with the Lord off by myself. And my expectation was, we're going to have these really deeply meaningful times praying together like every day. Hmm. So that's just one example of something that we both had strong expectations for. And then um, we didn't die to those expectations. We kept holding on to them mm-hmm. and, and pushing for them in a way that was really unhelpful. Mm-hmm. Don't you feel like the word expectation uh, needs to be examined maybe more than anything else in premarital counseling? Because we assume, I assumed that that I would be treated the same way as a married person as I was as a fiance. And um I had a lots of assumptions because we really don't know the person until we uh, live with the person. That's correct. And everything from how the toilet paper goes on the roll exactly. to where you leave your shoes when you come in the door mm-hmm. to how much one of our early conflicts, he comes from a large Italian Catholic family. Mm-hmm. And when they entertained, they all lived, his mom was one of eight children. And when they made Sunday dinner, they made enough dinner for 20 people. 
because no one knew who might stop by opportunistically at mealtime. And if you right. didn't have enough food, that was a really shameful thing, right? So early on in our marriage, when we entertained people, I would make enough food and he would feel like, why aren't you making enough food? People are going to be hungry. And then it's going to seem like we're not good hosts. Oh, we just went like round and around with that for several years before we realized like, wait a minute, what is happening here? And why are we, why are we having the same fight over and over again? Hmm. When we could sort of deconstruct and say, oh, so your feeling is to be a good host means this. And my feeling is to be a good, good host means this. Mm -hmm. And they just uh, were at cross purposes. How long it took, how come, or how can you help someone who maybe is in that swirl of, things are just not connecting, what would be a good uh, question even that they could ask themselves and one that they could ask their spouse? Yeah, I think really coming to a stop if you're in the middle of a conflict, really just stopping, hitting the pause button, button and saying, what is it that we're really having a conflict about? Because sometimes it's, it's about things on the surface, as mm -hmm. in the example that I just gave you, when it's really something much deeper. So slowing conflicts down so that we can try to you know, pull them apart, parse them apart. Um, looking at places where you have a repeated conflict, like the same conflict again and again, and then realizing this is probably about something other than what we're fighting about. So how can we discern what it is? Mm. Having humility, being able to say, I'm probably not listening to you or getting your story or your opinion correct. So let's try to make sure that we at least understand each other um, and understand what's important in this situation. So those are, those are just a couple ideas. Do you, did you have to catch yourself saying, well, you're not being very humble, otherwise you'd be listening better. <laughs> I think I that we both, we're both uh, self-reflective to, to a fault. I think that we, we can tend to take on more responsibility than we need mm -hmm. to, um, which is its own, you know, set of it's problems. Issue. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you want to answer this, but did you seek out professional counseling? Yes, we did. During that year 10, um, we both saw professional counseling and we have at various times in the context, in the course of our marriage, we're, we're both very much firm believers that sometimes we really just need somebody who's a professional to give us the objectivity that we might be lacking or to help us process through something. Um, and our encouragement to couples is don't wait until you're stuck. Like when you begin to approach stuck, when you can see the wheels spinning, that's the time to go as opposed to waiting until you're really entrenched and because um, it often takes longer then. Mm -hmm. Well, you've given some really great examples. Tell us a little bit about both books and who they're meant for. I don't want this. I know this is not a podcast to advertise or market, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I think this is such an important uh, topic that I want you to tell me uh, maybe the main point for each one and why you wrote each one. Well, you sure. already told us why. But yeah, um, the first one is called Making Marriage Beautiful, Lifelong Love, Joy and Intimacy Start With You. And that one um, really came out of a series of um, really difficult things that Christopher and I went through. I don't really talk about them in that book because it felt too fresh. I do sure. start uh, the second book, Marriage in the Middle, sort of detailing some of the things that happened. Um, we both felt like life was asking so much of us and really pulling at us in some ways pulling us apart that if we didn't sort of refocus on, on the marriage and on what we were about, that we were in danger of, of things really um, growing more distant. And so that was the hope of this is just to say, 
the places where your marriage is hard or the places where life is hard might be the very area that the Lord is calling you to grow in. And when we say yes to that growth, oftentimes not just our relationship with our spouse improves, but our, our lives improve. And then for the second book, um, Marriage in the Middle, that really is, it's an extension of the first book, but it's focused on folks who are in the 40 to 65 age frame. So I'm, I just turned 60 a couple months ago. And I think what we were realizing is this is a very unique time of life. The stresses and the pressures that we feel externally and to some extent internally, because our bodies are changing, there's, you know, menopause, andropause is the, the male version, um, again, that can pull at us in a way that is, uh, makes us devolve as opposed to connect with each other. So what I wanted to do is to say, these are some of the things that you can expect to happen during this time frame, and then help folks to be able to talk about it and find um, you know, very practical solutions to help them through that time period. Did you have to interview people to get their illustrations or is, is it because you work with in training that you already had the illustrations at your fingertips? Yeah, so my professional training is actually as a photojournalist and I've worked as a photographer uh, for 35 years now. Mm -hmm. So it's natural for me to want to hear people's stories. And I think, you know, maybe particularly given that I'm a white woman, uh, it felt really important to have representation in both of the books. And one of the characteristics in, in both of these books is that there are um, interviews with eight diverse couples. And when I say diverse, mm -hmm. I mean racially diverse, but also in terms of their age, where they live, et cetera. And I think that having them speak honestly about some of the things that they've gone through makes the book richer and fuller and helps people who are not, you know, maybe don't share so many of my experiences to be able to connect with the book. If someone is listening today and they are already stuck, what wisdom could you give them? Don't give up. <laughs> the first piece of wisdom is don't give up. Um, being stuck is really unpleasant. It's difficult, but that doesn't, I don't think by any means that being stuck is um, a curse. Uh, I would definitely reach out for help, professional help, uh, have uh, several people you can talk to who are friends, who you can share with honestly, who you can pray with, um, so that you're not pretending that everything is fine when it's not fine. I think that that's really one of the biggest ways that people not only get stuck, but stay stuck. Um, you know, we live in a, in a culture that so focuses on externals. How are you doing? How do you look? How many followers do you have? And that really, I think, encourages all of us to put on a facade and to not be willing to say, I am really struggling in this season. I'm not doing well. But when we can have that level of humility and be honest about where we're struggling with people who are trustworthy, I don't mean, you know, putting that out on Facebook, that would be silly. Um, I think that that allows us to be more honest. It allows us to find support and it can become a source of encouragement uh, for everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when someone has uh, confided in me a situation that I had no idea, um, it makes me love them more because yes. we all struggle. And so, right. if we would realize that they seem, we seem to have, uh, we can fall, we can err on both sides. Where we err our a different air. We air our dirty laundry and people become very uncomfortable and they don't mm -hmm. want to be around you anymore because you're bad mouthing your husband or you're saying too many uh, private things about yourself. Or we just keep it all closed up because we're too embarrassed or right. we think actually we put our I think we put our shoulds on ourselves to the extent where we don't even get the help that we need. Do you find that to be the case? 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I can't even tell you how many times, you know, we'll, we'll engage, we do some couples, um, I, I can't really call it counseling because we're not trained therapists, but pastoral care, coaching. And it, one of the questions we will often ask is why did you wait so long to ask for help? You know, they've been in that space for a long time and whether it's just that they, they have lost hope or um, they're overwhelmed. You know, certainly the past 10 months have been a season when many people are just so overwhelmed with life, what life is asking of them that they feel like I don't have the bandwidth to think about my marriage right now, mm -hmm. you know, fair enough. Um, but when we refuse to ask for help and invite others in, I think that we're, um, you know, we're perpetuating the problems. Mm -hmm. um, I had a question. I lost it. So let's go to legacy. As you know, this is making your life count and you are making your life count, you and Christopher. So did you come across any challenges to pass? I, well, let me go back. Maybe you didn't want to just say that marriage book writing or photojournalism is your legacy. Tell us what your legacy is that you're working on right now. And then I'll, I'll ask the next question. Sure. I think that legacy is a really, really good question for us to be asking of ourselves, maybe particularly in midlife. Amen. And in part, because if we if we don't have goals or if we've lost sight of the goals, there's still plenty of time to course correct, right? It's not like, oh, you know, it's, I've missed my opportunity because I'm 65 or 70 now. Um, so I'll talk about legacy in the context of family first. And one of the things that's really important to me is that I want our three adult sons, and as I mentioned, two of them are already married, to believe that having a vibrant, dynamic, mutually fulfilling marriage is possible. I don't want them to believe the myth that half of the marriages end in divorce. And mm -hmm. divorce rate is not 50% and it has never been 50%. So that's one of those urban myths that gets perpetuated. It's not? It is not and it never has been. Oh, I, was, no. I thought you were going to say it's 70%. No, it's much less. And it's, wow. it's much, much less if um, both husband and wife are actively engaged in their faith, then it actually drops down to about um, 10 to 15%. So I, I think it's so shift. discouraging for people nowadays, for young yes. people to say, well, why bother getting married? My parents divorced, their parents divorced. Right. Um, you know, is there any, even any hope? Should we just live together and then I'll find the next person to live with? Because it's easier Not to sure. get out of a relationship without no. the piece of paper. No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so we want, Christopher and I want our marriage to embody a strong, healthy marriage so that our kids see that. We also want them to have enough evidence through us and through how we live our lives to believe that God is real and that having a relationship with him changes everything, hopefully for the better. Mm -hmm. And then I think that we, uh, and I think that we personify this is that we want them to live missionally, to serve others and to leave the world in a better place. And then zooming out, I think that Christopher and I both want to reveal the kingdom of God to as many people as possible. You know, I've been reading uh, during the last, since COVID, I've really just been reading the New Testament over and over and over again. And last night I was reading in James and this one passage just always is both so convicting and so inspiring to me. It's from James 2. What good is it to your brothers and sisters if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can mm -hmm. that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? Mm -hmm. So to me, that just feels like, you know, a wake up call should be every single day for me to be thinking about what have I done? Have I, have I helped the person who needed, who needs help? Um, and, and believing that our relationship with Jesus should compel us to that kind of lifestyle. 
Do you ever feel overwhelmed by all the needs of the world? How do you pick your deed of the day to fulfill that beautiful James passage? Yeah, I think for us, it's really just saying, well, this is where the Lord has placed us. These are the people around us he has placed us with and just being present to what's happening around us. Um, you know, so we, up until COVID hit, we, we both volunteer in a local prison. Um, that felt like something that we weren't doing as we read through scripture and it, you know, it talks about all these different things. And we just both thought, you know, that's not on our list and here's a prison 10 miles away. So that's something that we've been doing. Um, Recently during COVID, we discovered that somebody in our, in our church community was just drowning in um, college debt. And so we reached out, Mm -hmm. you know, to help him to pay his college debt. So I think just paying attention to what's in our immediate vicinity and where we feel that sort of that Holy spirit um, movement in us uh, makes a big difference. And then where, where do we have the, the opportunities? Where do we have the gifting? You know, Christopher and I, um, Neither of us like power tools, particularly power tools that have dangerous things on them. On the end. (laughs) We would not be good candidates for Habitat for Humanity. Like that's not something that we would be good at. Right. But we love to, you know, meet with a couple who's in crisis and and listen to them and, and talk to them and pray with them. So I think just paying attention to what our gifts are and the needs that those two things that that's what directs us. Right. Whenever I speak to someone who's overwhelmed by too many things, I like to encourage them to become more self-aware as to what, what are you really good at? And I had someone challenge me who doesn't even know me. So why did you say you were a great speaker? I go, well, people have told me I am. And also I love, love doing it. And I think God gives us something that we get joy from. I don't think it's drudgery when someone calls you and say, Dorothy, can you and Christopher please help us? You're saying my heart leaps up. I mean, there we go. And I don't think we, um, we, we can spend too much time worrying about the next step instead of just doing the next step. And some of it also for me, I think it's just closing off from the news at times yes. when I feel overwhelmed. It's just saying, okay, I mm-hmm. need to take a break from reading or listening to the news mm-hmm. for a season. Yeah. I think I made one political comment this whole season uh, on Facebook and I pulled it down because people were infighting in my comments that I didn't even know. And I thought, this is not my role. If I, w- I thought I was being funny, but I was also a little upset. But I thought, if I were running for office, I would be prepared to handle this, but I'm not running for office. I am to be a light for Jesus. And this is not helping me Mm. be a light for Jesus. So if we, it's almost like if we have this legacy thought, I mean, your legacy is to let your boys know that they can have a beautiful marriage. So when they get stuck or when they have conflict, they may not want to talk to you because you're too right. That you say, please, you have permission to make an appointment with someone I don't know. That's right. Um, so I just think a legacy, living a legacy life is almost like a boundary, a boundary so that we don't get overly exhausted because we feel I have to go make muffins for every homeless person across the street because we have right. homeless people across the street and I do make them muffins. But if I felt I had to make them all, all in one day, it's kind of like I was telling uh, you before we started recording about this young man who just had a young uh, a baby two weeks ago. I said, I'm going to bring you a meal, but not today. And to me, that was a boundary because I have I'm scheduled until they wouldn't want my meal if I made it today, believe me. Right. So, um, so being self-aware helps and in paying attention to the opportunity. Do you have any other, um, 
wisdom you want to leave with our audience before we close off today? Um, gosh, there's so many things that we could talk about. Uh, I think that maybe one of the things too that I'd love to just share briefly is that it, it can be very easy for us to just be on autopilot in our lives, you know, to just go about the day and be pulled by the tyranny of the urgent. And maybe that's particularly true if we have young children, if we have health problems, or if we're caring for elderly family members who have health problems. Yes. Um, and, and certainly there's been a lot of urgency in the past 10 months and we need to respond like adults in those situations, right? But I think that for us, to, if we can have a guiding purpose, like what is it that we're really aiming towards? In Marriage in the Middle, I talk about telos, which is a guiding purpose. And it, it's a destination, but it's also how we get there and who we go with. So we want to step back from time to time and evaluate, you know, are we heading in the direction that the Lord is asking us to go? Or are we veering off course? And if we're veering off course, then we want to course correct, right? And, and to do that, Part of it is looking back and seeing where has God shown up in our lives? Where has he called us? Where has he clearly blessed us? Where has he challenged us? Um, and, and then believing that all of us, every single one of us, you know, regardless of what your skill is, regardless of your education level, that we all have a specific thing that the Lord is, is empowering us to do. I don't think it's just one thing throughout the whole course of our lives. I think it's organic. And I think that it also can change from, from season to season. Hmm. But when we're missional, like when we're really on target for the things the Lord is asking us to do, I think not only do we reveal him to the world, but it's also just a very encouraging way to live our lives. It doesn't feel meaningless or purposeful, purposeless. It feels like we're really engaged in a way um, that's very enlivening. And, and I, I like that. I do too. And I like... Well, I liked everything you said, but a couple of things stood out that it's organic. Our, our purpose, our overall purpose, of course, is to know God and to make him known. But our, the way that we do that changes throughout uh, our growth, our maturity. For one thing, we get to know ourselves better as we, it's, it's fun getting older because I know myself a whole lot better now. So I don't try to put a lot of things on me that don't fit. It's like yeah. trying on a pair of pants that don't fit. Why did I even buy a size four? I mean, that was stupid, Sue. And so I try to put, like, I try to put your brains on my brain. I don't have your brains, you know, and then I would get frustrated and upset. And um, all this comparison is, is bad for us, but also in our marriages, the fact that we look forward to a time where we don't have the little kids running around our, uh, our legs all the time. And, and I would perhaps have, I probably had a lot more fights then because I was tired and I was <laughs> wanting his help and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then yet there's also the fear of once the kids are gone, what do we talk about? You know, and so trying to, we've started traveling. Of course, that's been a little limiting oh, yeah. here, but we are traveling. People go, you're always going somewhere with your husband. I go, yeah, it's the only time I, you know, we really spend time together because he's so quiet. So if I, if we're on a road trip, I'll get maybe four sentences out of him and that's more than usual. And, um, and that's terrific because it's growing our marriage. So always be looking for something else that will stimulate Mm -hmm. uh, love and respect for each other. Yes. So, wonderful. Yeah. Well, this has been terrific. And yes, we could have talked longer, but we won't. But uh, we will be giving away a book or two of Dorothy's. And I hope that you are the uh, blessed winner. But the way to win will be to leave a comment um, on show notes or on the blog. And also uh, leave a review. We'll give you a few more opportunities. So Dorothy, this has been a delight. And I look forward to knowing you better and, and maybe you could come out to California. 
and speak. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I mean, San Luis. mentioned at the top, we, we yeah. only love San Luis. And, well, and so. if the hotels aren't open yet, we have a guest room. So that would be terrific. Thank you so much. Bless Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Until next time, think about your legacy, the one God has called you to live, all for heaven's sake. I would love to speak at your next Christian Women's event. See my keynotes and retreat series, as well as the show notes from today's broadcast at welcomeheart.com. Thanks for coming. You're always welcome here.